Well, what is a shock absorber? So I'm looking at Jim and others, the mechanics among you. You'll know that the vehicles we use to drive here this morning have very important parts called shocks or shock absorbers. But I am not one of the mechanics among us, so I'm going to quote from TL Motors, who say that shock absorbers are the parts of your car suspension that control the impact and rebound movement of your vehicle's springs and suspension, ensuring that the vehicle's tires remain in contact with the road surface at all times. Without shocks, TL Motors says, the wheels on the car or truck will actually bounce off the road and vibrate erratically down rough roads. If that's incorrect, you can correct me later, but please not now because that will damage the theme of the rest of the sermon. Shock absorbers, then, to my knowledge, are very important to the safety of your vehicle, and it's probably obvious when we notice that they aren't necessarily among the flashy cosmetic parts of your cars. They aren't spoilers, they aren't subwoofers, if people still do those. But they are of great importance nonetheless. What in the world does that have to do with a sermon on deacons? You'll have to wait a few minutes on that one. First, let me remind us where we are in this series on the church. So back on the first Sunday of September, we zoomed out for a sort of 30,000-foot view and saw how the church is in some real way the goal of history. God created, at the beginning, men and women like you and me to bring him glory Adam and Eve, to fill the earth with those who will bear his image, show his image, show his glory. But then sin entered the world, and God's image in us was distorted, and instead sought to bring glory not to him, but to us, to the creature. And so, as we were fruitful and multiplied, images of God were put out into the world, but distorted images, images curved in on ourselves, not for the way we were designed to bring glory to God. Now, in Christ, Romans 8, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. And so actually, the church is getting back to the design that was all the way back at the beginning. And as we go out with the Great Commission, we are making those who are conformed into the image of Christ. Again, populating the world with God's image, bringing him glory. That's the purpose of the church. Big picture. And if that's the big picture view of the church, three weeks ago then we got more specific and we said, so, okay, well, how how do we as individual Christians, limited by time and space, interact with this grand global reality that is church? Well, we do so, we said, in local displays of the global reality, local churches. As members of a local church, we said that we live out our faith We affirm each other's faith through membership and discipline. And we show forth the glory of Christ by the purity of his bride, right? So the New Testament commands to love one another, care for one another, all those one another things that we read in the New Testament are within the local immediate family of the church most expressed. Then two weeks ago, we saw how in the local church, we submit to local leaders, local elder pastors, so we saw how pastor, elder, overseer, all, off, all different words that point to the same office. Qualified men who teach and defend gospel doctrine and humbly shepherd the flock of believers in the local church. 
So in the New Testament, we see roles given to the congregation as a whole. We saw that, right? Then we see roles given to elders in particular, and then also to deacons. So like I said at the beginning of the service, the word deacon means servant. So in a broad sense, we're all called to be deacons. We're all called to serve one another, especially as members of a local church. In the New Testament, we see Paul, Timothy, even Jesus called deacons, servants. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that Paul seems to set aside a specific office for the deacon, a role for which we see qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy 3. It's also possible, I think, that we see the office of deacon in the first verse of Philippians, where Paul addresses the saints in Philippi with their elders or overseers and deacons, all right? So, with that in mind, kind of where we are in the scope of this series, we're considering this church office of deacon today. So let's, let's see three truths about the role of the deacon in the local church. First, deacons are elder supporters. Deacons are elder supporters. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Book of Acts, fifth book in the New Testament, right after the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And the context here is that we're being dropped down into the really exciting early days of the church in Jerusalem. So Pentecost has happened, the gospel's going out in power, people are being saved. If you look real quick at the end of chapter 5, you see that the apostles are, verse 42, not ceasing to teach and preach that the Christ is Jesus. But then in chapter 6, we see a problem arise. Look at verse 1. So Luke is a historian writing these words, and he says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. The Hellenists were Jews, but they were Jews who spoke Greek and engaged more in Greek culture. And here we see a division between them, the Hellenist Jews, and the Hebrews in that body of believers in Jerusalem. So what's the nature of the complaint? Luke says, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is a theme we'll also see in 1 Timothy later on, right? This, this responsibility to the church to care for widows. And here we see it again. There appears to have been in these early days of the Jerusalem church this ministry, great ministry, to care for widows, what they need. But there's a problem. Not all the widows are getting what they need, particularly the Hellenist widows. I think this is often the case when you think about just life in a broken world in a church, Right? At the same time, really good things can be happening, and yet conflict arises from something that might be being neglected. And that's what's happening in these early days of the church. Good things are going on. In some ways, it just looks like things are taken off. You know, There's persecution, but good things are happening. But then this, this significant, practical need that doesn't necessarily seem like a huge deal compared to the, the big spread of the gospel is presented, and it needs to be addressed. So what do the apostles do in verse 2? Look there with me. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
So here's this need. Need not being met leads to complaint. Complaint gets to the apostles, but the apostles say, this is important, but we can't do this. Our calling is to preach the word. And so there's this potential distraction, maybe a temptation to distraction, for the apostles and what they're going to be called to do by God. So perhaps your mind is called back to what we thought about two weeks ago as we considered the role of the pastor elder. The pastor elder is called to teach sound doctrine, to defend the the church from false teaching, to pray for and shepherd the souls of the sheep. It's a high calling and it's a heavy one. In many ways, an exhausting one, an all-consuming one. And so here with the apostles in these early days of the church, it makes sense they're hesitant to take on more when it comes to these widows. Of course the widows need to be cared for. The apostles are just saying, we're not the ones to do it. Now, they're not saying this work is somehow below them. They want the stage. Other people can take care of just kind of like the the weekly ministry. No. They're not saying we've been, I mean, we're apostles. You know who we are, right? We know Jesus. We've been tasked to spread the gospel. We're higher than this. We're higher than menial tasks. No, not at all. They simply cannot afford to leave the essential work to which they've been called. So what's the answer? Call others to step up. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the preaching of the gospel must not be neglected, but neither must the needs of the widows. So here's the answer. The apostles wisely request that others step up to help address the complaint serve these widows, and therefore free them up to keep on proclaiming the gospel. That's the answer. And I think the same sort of paradigm, the same sort of concept holds true for the church today. Deacons are those who help elders not get waylaid by things that, while important, while necessary, would distract them from their chief duty, which is to proclaim the gospel, to teach, preach, protect the church. Deacons are elder supporters. Now, before we get too much further into Acts 6, which we will, let's just be clear. This this passage is not about deacons, per se. I mean, Paul's the one that teaches about deacons, and Paul's not even been converted yet. That comes later in Acts, let alone writing letters to Timothy in Ephesus, right? So Acts 6 is not about deacons like 1 Timothy is about deacons. But many understand, and I think it's true, that what we have here, while not necessarily the office of deacon, is a sort of paradigm for how deacons will function in the church in the years to come. It's a helpful maybe term to call them deacon prototypes here in Acts chapter 6. Because there will continue, as the church grows, there will continue to be needs within the body that the pastor elders will not be able to sufficiently attend to. And so assigned servants will continue to be required to address those needs, to both bless the congregation and serve the elders, all for the building up and the protecting of unity in the church. 
unity in the church. That's where we turn next. Second point. Deacons, so their deacons are elder supporters. Now, deacons are unity preservers. Deacons are unity preservers. I think this is a helpful implication, a, a helpful application from this narrative in Acts 6. Because, right, there's, there's a problem here. And the problem is actually a threat, if you think about it. Because lots of things are happening, lots of good things are happening. But left alone, this complaint from the Hellenists, I think, may lead to greater and greater discontentment, greater and greater disunity. Perhaps these divisions, if left unaddressed, will, will fester and, and deepen and cause disunity and unhappiness and division in the church. So seven men are raised up to help bring peace and resolution to a complaint, to a conflict. The proposal is well received. You see that in verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Seven men of godly character are raised up, and we assume, happily, that these widows are no longer neglected as a result. Instead, they're cared for. They're served in the name of Jesus. So you can see here how the role of deacon can really be a role that preserves unity when it is threatened. Some have called the role of deacon a role of shock absorber. Like shocks on a vehicle, deacons can help provide stability and unity, particularly when the road gets rough and practical needs are required. So when threats to the unity of the local church on a practical level rise up, deacons are those who can step in to organize or serve or reach out or care for the practical or the physical or the logistical needs of the body. As one author points out, we must be careful. Deacons are not a sort of second house of Congress, sort of a check and balance on the elders. You got the elders meeting on Thursday nights and the deacons meeting on Friday nights, and we'll see what happens. That's the exact opposite of the, the intention of this office of deacon. Deacons serve alongside the elders. They support the elders by lovingly, sacrificially leading in service. So can you see how important this sort of servant leadership, this office of deacon, can be in a local church like ours? I mean, here in Acts 6, the apostles are freed up to devote themselves to prayer and the word in part because they don't need to micromanage every single ministry that's happening. Their desire is to be undistracted in what God has called them to do. doesn't mean they don't care for the sheep. doesn't mean they know the sheep's needs, but it, mean, no, it means that they don't actually have to strap on the apron and serve the meal. So instead of taking on more, they delegate and hand off ministry to trusted servants. I think one of the things we can see in these deacon prototypes is not just the meeting of practical needs, but the preservation of unity needs among the believers. It's of great importance in the health and the growth of a local church. So here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, we want elders 
to lead and teach. We want more elders. We want those who are equipped to lead and teach. And we want all the members of the church to be connected and to have their needs provided for and to be served and to be known. And so many times into that mix, deacons are particularly well-suited to enter in and serve and absorb shocks and maintain unity in the bond of peace. Here's a helpful summary of these kind of three roles that we've thought about the last uh, three sermons about elders, deacons, and the congregation. The author and pastor Jamie Dunlop puts it well when he says, elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, the congregation does ministry. Elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, the congregation does ministry. A healthy church will be one in which these three roles work together in humility and love. And much like the the shock in a car isn't the flashiest part of the vehicle that's getting all the attention when you drive by, getting all the oohs and ahs, the role of deacon may not be a a kind of front and center view or or, a job. It it may be more of a behind-the-scenes type of role, but believe me, its impact takes center stage in the life of a church. For in the work of a deacon, unity is protected The importance of teaching is held up. Those in need are cared for, and the church as a whole is built up. And I love verse 7 there in Acts 6. After this problem is solved, Luke writes, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The gospel continued on in power, and this little episode in the Jerusalem church helped serve that end. Deacons are unity preservers. Finally, deacons are qualified servants. So turn with your Bible, me and your Bibles, away from Acts 6 to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We were here just a few weeks ago to look at Paul's qualifications for the office of elder overseer. Now we return to look at the the middle of the chapter and see the job qualifications for church deacons. So look with me there, starting in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3. Paul is instructing the church leader Timothy in how he is to lead his church in Ephesus, what Paul calls the household of God. Don't you love that term for the church? And he says one of the ways that you can build up and and help lead the household of God is to find good deacons. And so what should these deacons be like? Paul writes, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith 
that is in Christ Jesus. So when it comes to people in the church who serve in the role of deacon, Paul says they should first be dignified. They are to be honorable, in other words. Much like the elders up above in verse 4. You see that? With all dignity. Second, deacons are to be sincere. Paul says they should not be double-tongued. They should not be hypocrites. They should not be two-faced people who will present a different side of themselves in different situations. No, they must be the real deal. They must be sincere. Next, the the next two qualifications, I think, could be grouped under the idea of self-control. So Paul says they are not to be addicted to much wine, and they're to not be greedy for dishonest gain, right? They're to control their passions, whether for greed or for drunkenness. They should be trustworthy, handling the needs and resources of the church with integrity and honesty, not taking advantage of those who are in need, who are coming to them weak and vulnerable, but exercising mature love and care. Next, Paul says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So when it comes to a deacon's commitment to gospel doctrine, they must be sincere in their belief and then live in light of what they believe, right? There shouldn't be some sort of disconnect between what they understand about the gospel and how they live in light of it. And this then will allow them to serve and encourage others well. Deacons also must know the faith. They must know theology well to minister well to those in need in the church. Paul goes on to say they must be tested, verse 10. They should be examined. The the church should want deacons who have proven themselves trustworthy and serve the church well and faithfully already. Much like elders. Elders should be those who are already shepherding, just not with the role of elder yet. So likewise, deacons should be those who are already deaconing in the church and now can be kind of officially recognized as such. In verse 12, we see deacons must be maritally faithful as well as good leaders in their home. Again, just like the elder at the beginning of the chapter. And and like I mentioned earlier in the pastoral prayer when we were praying for Aaron, I love verse 13. Paul says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Don't you love it that in this role of servant to the church is a promise from the apostle who says that those who serve faithfully in this role will be blessed. They will gain good standing. Their confidence will be built up in their service. Now, two quick notes. First, can, can women serve as deacons? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We, I think we spent a little bit more time kind of looking at the Greek language and stuff back when we preached on 1 Timothy 3 about three years ago. So you can find that on the podcast or on our website, or we can talk later about it. I'd be happy to do that. But can women serve as deacons? So we saw two weeks ago how the role of elder is limited to qualified men. We saw how this is rooted in God's good design for gender roles in the church, how it's good for us, how it's good for men and good for women, and it's ultimately glorifying to God. But when it comes to the office of deacon, it's, it's not as clear-cut in God's word as to whether women can serve in this role. So look with me at verse 11 in 1 Timothy 3. 
Paul says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. That, that word wives, translated from the Greek, could also be translated women, referring to women deacons. And so therein lies an argument that has been much hashed out over the decades of the church. And, and just to be honest with you, I think arguments can be made on both sides that are really compelling, really good. And those of you who have the deacon book that I just handed out, the, the appendix, and don't turn to the appendix right away because he says shame on you if you turn here right away before reading the rest of the first part of the book. But he has a great appendix at the end uh, that basically says the same thing. He lays out the argument. He says both of these are compelling, right? So a decision should be made. And at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, here's where we've landed. So it's clear that the office of elder is one of spiritual authority and oversight limited to men. However, the office of deacon is, is one not of spiritual authority. Instead, it's one of practical service. It's one of helping those in need. It's one of support. It, it provides organization. It provides structure for the health of the church. There is not spiritual oversight. There's spiritual service. And so at Loudoun Valley, we've decided joyfully to open this office to both our brothers and sisters in the church. We've been great, greatly served by sisters in this manner. Again, if you have more questions about this, you want to hash out 1 Timothy 3 in the Greek, um, I'm not a, a professional in those matters, but I've, I've read some of the arguments, I've thought about it, would love to talk with you more. But remember, this is a matter of secondary importance in our church life together. An important matter for sure. And one you can develop an opinion on, yet certainly a matter for gracious conversation and dialogue, not flag planting and hot takes. And just to be clear, I'm not that great at the Greek, so I don't want to put that forward that to disappoint you later. Second thing to point out. So some of you may have heard of or experienced, maybe none of you, but maybe some of you, Baptist churches, American Baptist churches, who have envisioned deacons as almost pseudo-elders or a board of directors. So sometimes these churches will have like a church government that kind of goes like pastor, pastoral staff, and then a board of deacons. And so just to be clear, if, if, you have, if you've never heard of that, then that's fine. But if you have, when it comes to our understanding of Scripture, I think it's clear that's not biblical. So the New Testament gives specific instructions for both the pastor-elder and the deacon. Two distinct roles that build up the church and work in tandem together. So just know that that is not what we mean when we mean deacon. We don't mean sort of pseudo-elder, trustee, director type. That's an ultimately unhelpful way to structure a church. But let's, let's think then, with those two things out of the way, let's, let's kind of think back on the big picture of our service together. I hope, Loudon Valley, we all see how important it is that we think prayerfully and carefully about men and women who serve us in this role of deacon. Now, there's room for prudence and wisdom in how we elect deacons, how deacons are deployed in the local church. Here at Loudon Valley, we've decided to kind of place deacons in what's called task-specific ministry. 
So specific areas of ministry, they will have responsibility for, focus on, so they can be kind of have a, a focus, laser focus on what we, the church has called them to serve us in. So currently, uh, as we prayed for earlier, our, our only deacon at this point is Aaron Kay. Uh, he serves as deacon of setup. This is a huge way to absorb shocks in the church, especially when we've met in portable environments like Loudoun Valley High School, where we met for three and a half years. Uh, for example, three weeks ago, right? St. Peter's was having their big 150th anniversary. We couldn't meet here. We met at Fireman's Field. So guess who was there early, getting the van ready during the week, making sure the van was ready, bringing the van, rolling it up on the grass, unloading, unpacking, setting everything up. It was Aaron. His role is important to our ability to gather. And, and Lord willing, church, we'll vote on four more deacons at our next members meeting in two weeks. Deacons uh, in the areas of women's ministry, children's ministry, audiovisual, and safety. There are, of course, other potential areas for diaconal service that I've contemplated for our church. Things like member care, like providing meals for those who have had babies, things like that. Uh, community outreach, finance, hospitality, music, new member integration. So when people become members, making sure they're in community groups, making sure they're plugged in and other people know who they are. Visitor connection. I think is a good, good one for us to work on in the months to come. Men's ministry. So we don't necessarily need deacons in all these areas. That's not a biblical mandate for us. But just think about how helpful that would be. It's amazing how having good deacons can take a load off the minds and the plates of the elders, allowing us to focus more on our roles of teaching and praying and shepherding. So would you pray with us for more deacons at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, more qualified servants, more unity preservers, more elder supporters to be raised up? And ultimately, church, we seek to serve in this way because we have a Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. Peter read that for us earlier. And we see in Philippians 2 how Jesus the very Son of God, with all glory and power, set aside his glory for a time and took on the form of a servant. Jesus came to absorb the greatest problem, the greatest shock of all, the wrath of God against each one of us for our sin. See, each one of us is a rebel against God and his design for us. We've decided to live for our own glory, not his. We do this every day, when we lash out in anger, when we consume illicit material on our browsers, when we harbor bitterness against loved ones in our hearts, when we seek the applause of others rather than God, in a million ways we show we are rebels against God. But God did not leave us in that rebellious state. He sent his son to redeem us. That's what we've been singing about today. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He took the full shock of the wrath of God against the sin of any who would trust in him. He absorbed it all completely. He drank the cup of God's wrath to its final drop. Jesus brought life by laying down his life as a servant if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
Perhaps your mind has drifted during this sermon. I don't blame you. But if you've heard nothing else, this is the most important thing I'll say. Jesus came to bear God's judgment you deserved so that if you'll turn to him, you'll be saved. Won't you do that today? And church, Jesus is both our model and our savior, isn't he? Sometimes if we focus on one of those more than the other, we get a little lopsided. But he's both our model and our savior. He's our savior in the sense that he came and he took on the form of servant. He did everything we couldn't do, and then he gave us his perfect righteousness and and redeemed us. We have nothing to do with that. But Jesus is also our model. He's our model as we seek to serve others. As he laid down his life for us, so we are to joyfully lay down our lives for our church and for those in our community as we do so in unflashy behind the scenes ways Jesus will be glorified so let's seek him let's seek the joy and upbuilding of this local church as we seek to serve one another as he has served us let's pray